Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of the servants, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and, cro and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of God. Then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even, as I'm, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of God. Do you have your seats and um, uh, you, uh, you probably didn't keep a uh, piece of paper in uh, Philippians 2 so if you could find your way back there. If you did, well done. That's a very good advanced planning. Um, it's page 1179 uh, that we've uh, just uh, had open. And we sang that just there because of what's written there. That so. Uh, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. That's, that's how it's going to be because of who he is. And so for us to enter now into adoring him is the most wonderful thing. So let's continue that thought in prayer. Lord Jesus, we, we do long that these truths on the page would be real, that they'd make sense to us, that you'd speak them into our lives, that your Holy Spirit would help us to engage with um, what we've just had read. And Father, that we would uh, be those who through your Son know you and are able to serve you in the world in our lives. We pray that in his name. Amen. So we've been thinking uh, in this season about our mission as a church, uh, about this geographical area that God's planted us in, and uh, having a heart for that, 
And we're thinking, obviously, about this uh, weekend coming up of events to try and help us, to help our neighbours uh, know more about Jesus. And I want to focus on uh, today on, on, as we try and do that, how do God's work and our work go together? Okay. How do, because, you see, I can't change someone, can I? I can't change someone's heart. You can't do that. None of us can change, I mean, we're probably hard enough to make changes ourselves, let alone change someone else. But God can and God does. Equally, God doesn't usually do what he did for the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road and appear directly to people. He can do that if he wants to, but he doesn't usually do that. He usually works through other people who know him already. So we've got some work to do as well. How how does God's work and our work fit together? Well, here in Philippians 2, we'll see that hopefully. We start with God's work, his work for us in verses 6 to 11, and his work in us in verse 13. And then our response, our work with God, our witness for God. Let's look at God's work for us in verses, well, that's the bit that stands out, verses 6 to 11. Let me read a tiny bit of it again. It's so wonderful. Jesus did not consider, verse 6, equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage but rather made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And we spent time over Christmas meditating on those verses over and over again, actually. The wonderful truth of Almighty God humbling himself, shrinking himself down in order to save you, in order to save me, in order to save the world. So that means that all the hard work, all the really hard work of people who've got it wrong, like us, Sinful people becoming right with God forever. All the hard work's been done already by Jesus when he came. And he did that, not only for us in the room, but for everyone we know. He did that for the world, that it can come back to God through him. When Jesus humbled himself... To serve God, to make a way back, he did it for your neighbours and for mine, for your husband, for your wife, for your kids, for your grandkids, for your friend, for your colleague. That's who can come back to God now, through Jesus. He's done it all to save the human race. That is the work that God has achieved. And when we realise that, it's a massive motivator actually in the Christian life. It's a massive motivator to serve God and to become like him. Look again at verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see? So as we meditate, as we understand all that God's done for us, it will transform our thinking about life and about serving God in the world. It'll inspire us to be like him. If we're going to be involved in the uh, Friendship with God uh, weekend, the uh, events of it, um, which I hope we all will, just as a church family, uh, there'll be something that you think, yeah, okay, that's the thing I'm going to be uh, particularly committed to. Um, It might mean missing some things. It might mean giving up some things. It might mean a bit of sacrifice, mightn't it? It might mean, you know, coming out on a night when it's tipping it down with rain. It might mean missing your favourite TV show. It might mean, a bit like Hannah was saying, the kind of like, saying to a friend, you just think, I don't know whether this friend's going to say yes, but I'm going to invite them anyway, even though I feel a bit apprehensive about it. Um, 
It might mean some kind of small sacrifices along the way in that sort of way, but folks, you know, compare that little list of sacrifices to what Jesus did for us. And, yeah, I mean, to follow Jesus in this culture sometimes means mild inconvenience, sometimes means people kind of don't get us and think we're weird and maybe, you know, say some things that are unpleasant and unkind because they think we're weird. But compared to leaving the glory of heaven, humbling yourself and becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross, to save... What Jesus has done for us is so much more than anything that we're called to do as we follow him. And so we're called to have the same mindset, that same single-minded mindset of serving God, come what may, in response to God's work for us. And that's the foundation of it. Jesus has already done it. He's saved us. And we're called to then respond and have his mindset. We'll come back to that. So God's work for us. Verse 13 also talks about God's work in us to will and to act according to his good purpose, it says, doesn't it? So God doesn't just sort of save us and say, welcome back to the family, um, all the very best, see you in heaven. He doesn't just leave us to it. He works in us. Uh, there's a picture of this. I, the best I could come up with, is, you know if you go to the airport um, and they've got those, um, you know, if you, you go through all the sort of security stuff, and then it's you know, half a mile away to your plane through all those sort of tunnels. But they've got those moving walkways. I love those. Um, and you kind of you go on. And you can just go on and stand. And then the people walking along with their suitcase overtake you. Or you can go on and get walking. And then you kind of walk past them all and you think, look at me, I'm, I'm making really good progress. Sucker, you didn't walk on the walkway. <laughs> Sorry, that's my inner competitiveness coming out there in a not entirely pleasant way. Sorry, apologies. Um, but in that sort of way, that picture helps me to think of what verse 13 means, that God works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. The God who sent his son to die for us also sends his Holy Spirit to work in us and the Holy Spirit is already moving in the right direction like the walkway is. But of course it's much more wonderful than the picture of a walkway because it's also much more personal. The Holy Spirit is the person of God coming to live in us and he, he, he makes us more like Jesus. Uh, it's as though you know, every time we're reading the Bible or we're singing about him as we do week by week um, or maybe you listen to stuff during the week and, and the Holy Spirit he's working to sh- help us to see how amazing Jesus is to kind of give us spiritual eyes to see and hearts to understand and to realise how loved we are by God that Jesus shows us that and, and to to, to show us that and to, then to urge us to follow after him, to put our faith in him, to, to, to live his way, to, to put sin to death, and, to, and he helps us to do that. He, he gives us joy that we might walk after Jesus and serve him. And you see, God's committed to doing that in us. And what a difference it makes. God has done all the work for us to be right with him, and he's at work in us to make us more like him. And in response, you see that's also in verse 12, we're called to work with God, to work out our salvation. 
So, again, going back to that picture of the walkway, the Holy Spirit's already leading you in the right way, and the call really is to keep up, get walking, work with the Holy Spirit in becoming more like Jesus. That's the picture, and that's why the walkway helps me. Do it, verse 12, with fear and trembling. Do you see that? Gosh, that's quite a thing, isn't it? Um, that was people's reaction in the Old Testament when God was near. There was a sense of, whoa, God is near us. Whoa. And fear and trembling. Uh, because it's not a self-help therapist who God sends into our lives. It's the living God, the creator of everything, the Holy Spirit, who comes and lives in his people in a way that is mind-blowing. And fear and trembling is kind of the right reaction to that. Not being afraid of God, we're not, we don't have to be afraid of him, he loves us. But a holy awe of him, that God himself is present with us in our lives. And, and Paul's saying this, and he's talking about fear and trembling, to help us actually. Because if you look at verse 12, um, he's picking up on something in all human nature, which is, um, if someone's watching us and noticing what we're doing, we're more likely to make more of an effort. Um, so, I don't know, a couple of pictures come to mind. You've got the, um, you go up to Wormwood Scrubs and you're watching a football team play and uh, there's a bloke there, he's just, you know, he doesn't really seem to be running around much. He's, you know, spent the first, sort of, whole first half basically not really making much effort. And then, um, halfway through the second half, um, a girl arrives on the, on the touchline. And suddenly he starts putting his hand up, calling for the ball, running for everything. And sure enough, it's his girlfriend, and uh, because he loves her, or at least he's trying to impress her, he makes all the effort in the world. Or the other picture that comes to mind is the person who's, you know, they, they turn up in the morning at work, and, but they don't seem to be doing anything. And they're just filling away with their phone, and they're sort of, you know, totally distracted. And then suddenly, the boss comes. <laughs> And the phone goes away, and oh yes, oh hello, yes, yeah. You've got two different motives there, haven't you, for making effort? One's love, one's fear. But actually, both of them are, are very powerful motives in the human life, in the sorry, in the human beings, in our lives, to make us work. In the same way, the love of Jesus, His example of obedience, all He did for us, should inspire us to live for God but also the awe of God, a, a holy awe, a kind of, whoa, he is the boss, should restrain us when we want to do the wrong thing and, and help us to keep that focus to say, actually, my whole life should be lived for him. He made me, he's called me, he's saved me. So let's apply this just by asking ourselves, how are we getting on with this? Are we working with God in our lives on a, a wet Wednesday or a sunny Tuesday? Or have we fallen into the trap of only really making the effort when someone else is watching, when someone else might see us and comment on what we're doing? Because actually God is with us all the time, and that should both inspire us and give us a kind of holy awe and perspective. So let me read out what Paul says and adapt it slightly. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only when another Christian is watching but much more when you're on your own. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God, the awesome God, the Holy One, who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Work with God in response to all he's done for us. And the other thing here in verses 14 and 16, witness for God. There's a picture there, isn't there, of us uh, becoming holy and blameless children of God as, as the Holy Spirit works in us and we become more like him. And it's a picture then of of us becoming like the stars in the night sky, which stand out and which shine, which pass on light to others. It happens, verse 16, as we hold firmly to the word of life. So in other words, this message about Jesus saving people, bringing us back to God. That's what we hold firmly to. We won't let go of it, no matter what other people say. It's so wonderful. We'll stick with that word. And as we do it, we'll be changed and we'll want to pass it on to others, to friends, family, colleagues, neighbours, so that they can hear about Jesus too. Uh, When I was a curate um, last millennium, um, I went to a, um, a diocesan training event for new curates. And they were talking about um, uh, uh, mission and evangelism. And someone jokingly suggested that the uh, Anglican model of evangelism was to go around being really nice to people and hoping they could work out why. Now the reason... The reason that joke worked in a gathering of curates was we all recognised some truth in it. Uh, compared to, say, you know, the Pentecostals who are more, you're more likely to find on Oxford Street preaching you know, live to the crowds, the, the Anglicans are a little bit quiet often. But it's totally hopeless, isn't it, that way of trying to help other people know Jesus because at the very best... We might convince some people, oh, well, you know, they're quite nice. That's all we'll convince people of if we don't actually share that actually we're not really nice in and of ourselves, particularly. We're just pretty average people. But that God has had mercy on pretty average people. And that God will have mercy on the greatest, sort of the most sort of upright person in society or the person who has done the most wrong things in society. That actually the whole range needs a saviour and has got one in Jesus. And we need to explain that. It's not, that's not obvious from just looking at a bunch of Christians. So we need words as well. I mean, of course we need to live it. We need to live it out. But we need to find words and find booklets and put on events where someone else stands up. We're going to have this Cornhill team that's going to come to us, uh, some of the people that Michael knows and studies with. They're just going to do something each night, each event, the women's friendship group, the, the Friday club, the, the, the gala dinner. They're just going to share a bit. We'll get to know them. At the, they'll scatter and do the different friendship dinners. They come dine with me. So we'll get to know them a bit on the Thursday evening. It's a lovely idea, just them sharing a weekend with us. So they're going to help us. I mean, it's the easiest way to help friends and family to know about Jesus this weekend because all we say, I've said to a couple of neighbours, do you want to come to the gala dinner? So let's just invite people because we all need to, I need to know more, I need to go deeper. It should be a great weekend to feed our faith. But actually, hopefully, it's also an opportunity for 
people like my friend to say, okay, let's talk about what I do and don't believe. And what, what are the reasons for me being as I am? Are there any things that would persuade me one way or the other? In our words as well as our actions, Christians are called to stand out like stars, not blend in like chameleons. You know a chameleon? It's a lizard that changes colour. It assumes um, shades of green, yellow, cream and dark brown, according to my notes. It's it's properly thought to uh, change colour to match the background that it's against. Um, And in that way, chameleon Christians merge and blend in wherever they are. They're with a bunch of Christians in church. Oh, yeah, they emphasize their sort of Christian stuff. They're in an environment which is not Christian and they, ooh, de-emphasize the Christian stuff and blend in. Legend has it that an experiment was conducted of putting a chameleon on a tartan background. And it got very, very stressed and exploded as it tried to blend in. It's not a true story. Don't worry if you're an animal lover. But do you see the point of that silly story? It, we, we're called to be this, um, this body of people that having received God's light in Jesus Christ, then become like stars in the sky. That's what 15 says, isn't it? But actually, we don't, we're not the light, he is, but we do reflect it, we do pass it on because he's good and it's not saying you've got to become a manic, party-going extrovert unless you are already. It's just saying that Jesus is the light. So don't hide it. Don't hide it. Be like a star. Be, be happy to be like a star. It's a great thing to be like a star. Gosh. Um, don't hide it. Don't, don't spoil it. And that is the thing that really does spoil it. The biggest enemy of being a witness for God, according to this, is... Um, or maybe, I don't know, actually the whole of it is a lack of obedience to God, actually, is the big enemy here, isn't it? But the particular example in verse 14 is grumbling and arguing. Again, thinking about the Old Testament Israelites, it's what, they were pretty pretty good at that. They were pretty famous for it, if you read through the account of Moses trying to lead them through the wilderness. If you could have won uh, medals for grumbling and arguing, the, oh, the Old Testament Israelites cleaned up gold every time. And you can see how that ruins witness, can't you? You can, you can see how it does. If, you know, one minute I say, oh, by the way, you know, God loves you, Jesus came and died and wants to be friends with you and bring the world back to him... And oh no, and oh, and, oh, and you, that, uh, and you kind of you say a bit of truth, and then you're grumbling and arguing and going on about this and on about that, and whether it's the weather or oh, and this happened, and then can, can, I mean, just as I caricature it, you can see, can't you? You've just said a whole bunch of negative stuff and some stuff about Jesus. Why? Why is the stuff about Jesus positive? Why is it any different if the rest of your speech is full of? Grumbling and arguing and uh, sorry, as I over-dramatised that, I'm going to forgive me. But I just, I just, I think it's coming home to me how this teaching really makes sense, doesn't it? That it will hide the light if our speech is full of that. It deadens us spiritually as well, actually, if we follow the example of the Old Testament Israelites and spend our lives doing that. It deadens us spiritually. It ruins our witness. 
So how do we change that in ourselves? How do we change anything in ourselves? Let's finish with what we've already seen, which is verse 5. We want that mindset of Christ Jesus. We want to learn to think like him. And so we go back. It's why week after week we sing, we meditate on the scriptures and meditate on Jesus and what he's done for us. Because as I remember that he put aside all his comfort, he put aside all his glory, he put aside his own needs, he did it all honouring his Father in heaven and to save people like us. That's what Jesus did. That's his example. That's his mindset. His so clear, single-minded, serving God mindset. And when I realised that he did all that so that others might be saved, well, what, what little things that I have to give up to help another person well, it puts it all in perspective. He did all the work for you, for me, for your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbours, your colleagues, your friends. He did all the work to save us. He works in us as his people once we come back to him. So let's work with God in our lives and let's work, witness for God in what we say as well as in what we do. 